You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. channel because there's a lot of people that will watch the channel mm-hmm. but aren't subscribed it's called YouTube, being a youtube viewer. <laughs> <laughs> 
And with that, hello everyone and welcome to the return of the show. I am your host for today, Ben, and with me I have my co-host for specifically Box Machina, I guess, at this Actually, point. Actually, pretty much. Yeah. I don't remember the last time I've been returned. <laughs> I think it was Box Machina. Besides that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, this is the return of the show. We're talking about Legend of Vox Machina, season two. Just came out, pretty much. Yeah. By um, the time this video was... By the know. time, yeah. Actually, yeah, pretty I, much. Release schedules out there. It's fine. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about season two, all the sort of things that surround it. And it, there's a little bit of a unique perspective here because I've seen all of campaign one and um, you have seen none of it. I've sir. seen maybe very small bits of it or gifts even. So just, just really, gifts. Yeah. You, you take it all in gift form. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the gift going around of when Laura actually died? No. Um, it, oh, it's really it's really just this moment of like, does that take you to zero? <laughs> and her going yeah the the main gift i can pick up with laura is, is when she does yeah because her whole like thing oh also this is a video podcast today for anyone that's on the audio only feed so if you yeah uh, come to come to the youtube if you don't know what's going on we also haven't had a video podcast in a while um anyway we're gonna be going over the first three episodes that had just come out we are talking rise of the chrome conclave the trials of vasselheim and of course the sunken tomb aka vex dies <laughs> Because that's the episode, Vex dies. They even yeah. gave her a bunch of backstory that episode to almost Which, telegraph. Honestly, watching that now, you, you, you could have seen that coming. Yeah, I you was. He could have seen that. Coming. I was watching it with my partner, and we were both like, "Yep, this is how they decided to do it." All Everyone right. else thinks it's just a normal backstory drop. Nah, they right. they wanted you invested for death. All right, so because uh, we'll put this in the beginning now. Uh, I actually ha happened to see this on Thursday night in a movie theater. Yes, it played uh, the three episodes straightforward. Uh, I went with some other friends, a lot of few of them who uh, are big Critical Role fans. Yeah. So um, they were actually surprised that it happened so fast that Vex died. I'm, I'm not surprised by that actually, because when you think about the story, because like a story on in a tabletop game unfolds really slowly because you have players yeah. that will not progress the plot for their <laughs> life um so of course in that sort of situation the actual beats that happened pretty much are just what we saw now there are some things that they skipped um there's characters that we haven't met yet that we actually would have normally met essentially right after they finished up the briarwood arc there's some okay. really important characters that we will meet they're definitely not omitting them from the story because they're too important but I think that they have just shifted around their introductions to be later in the season to when they are actually relevant to the plot. Yeah, I think that would be best, especially when they're doing like three episodes of uh, release. Yeah. So they don't want to drag out anything like too much. Yeah, I think the way that they're going to I the way that they're going to do it is um, we're in the Chroma Conclave arc. Obviously, this first episode is called Rise of the Chroma Conclave. Um, it, and it's. This is the meat of the show. This is where the story actually begins. And while the Briarwood arc is a beloved arc, it really acts as a prelude to just what's going to happen much, much later in the campaign. The Briarwoods will still be relevant. They're never going to go away fully as far as their impact on the story is concerned. Mm -hmm. But as far as like stringing together what was a D&D &D campaign, this is the meat of the campaign. Okay. So it, we're not going to be done. I'm just going to say it now in case anyone's worried. Like, how are they going to resolve all this in one season? 
they're not. Yeah, that was actually another thing that uh, the people I was with uh, talked about, at least briefly, that, like, I believe they suggested um, it would, for this specific Chroma Conclave arc, it would either be, like, two or, like, two and a half or something like that seasons. I think, realistically, at the pace that they're going, it could be three to four. Okay. I think it, because the amount of time that it takes, essentially the way that Matt Mercer broke this down is there was simultaneously a fetch quest going on as well as a kill the big boss quest. Right. So the fetch quest we will see in coming up bits, and I'll talk about that then. And the big bosses, well, we met them. <laughs> um, and speaking of big bosses, we have to talk about a controversy that's going on in the D&D world right now with D&D related media. Let's real briefly talk the OGL. Um, so for people that are unaware, the OGL is um, an opening gaming license. And it is what has allowed Dungeons & Dragons to actually become popular. Uh, it's the reason why actual plays can't exist in current licensing. It is the reason why if you play the game, you can get source books that aren't published by the Wizard of the, by Wizards of the Coast that allow you to essentially do whatever you need to do like if you're like oh i want to play as a little hobbit person well not a little hobbit person they have those in the game i want to play as a little mouse there's nothing in the uh there's nothing Official in the source book, books yeah. but if you get a third party book you can do it and this the ogl has allowed what that is to happen okay. um wizard of the coast tried to change all of that in one fell swoop and it got leaked and people are really really mad at lizards wizards of the coast Lizards of the Coast. No, you're lizards right. You're, you're right. Yeah, right. no, I'm right. I can call them lizards. Yeah, no, I think it's an appropriate name. Um, we're and essentially what this turned into was the entire D and D community uh canceling D and D beyond subscriptions and really hurting Wizards of the Coast. Bottom line. So eventually they changed the OGL. Um, and people are still not happy about that. We'll talk about that in probably a different podcast. Um, uh, maybe check out the Return of the Movie. Mm -hmm. We might be talking about it there. It maybe we may be talking about it somewhere else on the channel. But what this boiled down to was Critical Role couldn't just stay quiet on this because they're the biggest, uh, them along they with Dimension. They're probably one of the most well-known yeah. uh, media sources for D&D. Yeah, sure. no, D&D yeah. media consumption, as far as actual plays are concerned, the two biggest ones are Critical Role and Dimension yeah. 20. Just like that uh, that Twitch leak. Yeah, about the... <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, we know this. They, they're the most profitable group on Twitch. Um, so... Critical Role released a statement. I'm going to read it now. And some people were mad about this. Some people weren't. Um, okay. Critical Role has always supported creators and game development in the tabletop space. We stand by our industry peers as well as anyone who takes a risk creating a new system or developing an original idea. The beauty of gaming comes from the opportunity to share inclusive, diverse, and compelling stories from a wide spectrum of creators. That's exactly why we launched our own gaming publishing company a few years ago. Because we believe that broad ugh, because we believe that broadening the field of creators boosts the entire industry. The success we have experienced is thanks to the passion and interest of the greater tabletop community, and we commit to fostering an environment that allows everyone the opportunity to easily share the stories they wish to tell. So uh, I can see why people are mad. Yeah. yeah, I gotta be honest. First, uh, listening to this, because this is the first time I've actually seen it, uh, I feel like they didn't really address anything. So, this is where we get into the nitty-gritty, um, this is where we get into nitty-gritty law shit, and this is the reason why um, a lot of people are defending Critical Role. Now, 
I have to be on the side of people defending Critical Role because I do think that people overestimate how big of a company Critical Role is and how much risk that you can take. So D&D Beyond, which is essentially now Wizards of the Coast, was a campaign-long sponsor. The entirety of Campaign 2, they had D&D Beyond ads and personalized ads. Okay. And the issue is that when you take on a when you take on a piece like that, you also sign what is called a non-disparagement clause, which essentially you can't say anything bad about the company. Otherwise, and this is really important. It's not just that they will drop you as a sponsor. You can get sued for a lot of money sometimes in proportion to how close your brand is tied to that other brand. Wait, all that like within the NDC or whatever it's called? What, yes. So when you an O you nearly had me say an OGL. A non-disparagement clause. That's right. Yeah. Actually, I think you did get the acronym for that yeah, correctly. Yeah, I, I do my best. Um, <laughs> yeah, all that in the non-disparagement clause is essentially to say that if you try to screw over our brand, um, we can come at you in a relatively proportionate amount. So could Critical Role potentially survive uh, breaking a non-disparagement clause? Yes. Would all of its employees survive it? That's uh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's not even just with D and D, but as history is not shown a good yeah thing for the for employees. So that's the kind of thing that you have to like them releasing a statement that was not siding with Wizards of the Coast was a risk in the first place. And like Dimension Twenty still has not published anything stating neutrality on this or that they are supporting X Y Z. So it is when you're thinking about like how this impacts things, you have to remember that Critical Role has a really tough decision. And also, unfortunately, they're not a bunch of guys making content in a basement for no money. They have a lot of money. They have livelihoods and they have livelihoods of other people riding on them. So was this the responsible thing to do for those people? Probably. Um, does it taste good to the D&D community as a whole? Definitely not. Yeah. I think another issue is just the course with like when something's like so closely related to another, like it's always like a cry out for a, a statement. Yeah. And then a lot of times it just doesn't ever hit up. Yeah. And that's the like, we've already kind of seen this that um, even this show does a lot to avoid saying D&D related things. We meet a tiefling in one of these three episodes. Tiefling is a word that has never popped up once during the show. They'll actively avoid it using um, as much D&D, as much D&D related things as possible. Um, Actually, that's a good point. Because I feel like they never really did like specify really yeah. anything except for like dragons. <laughs> yeah, dragons are the only thing. Uh, they came really, really close with uh some of the gods that they were introducing in the Baselheim episode but they never actually explicitly said their core names even you're the, right, Raven... the storm lord and okay yeah right. even i think the storm lord might be the closest but the storm lord also has roots in other mythologies mm-hmm. like the raven queen which is very D related and only D related to my knowledge uh they only refer to as the matron of ravens so they have they have somewhat separated their ip from D a little bit and there's some speculation that they might break away from D&D entirely. They might go back to Pathfinder. We don't know what's going to be happening with that. That's like campaign forward discussion. Um, but all this is to say 
that this show has a couple things hanging over it right now because on top of that there has been both a boycott to the call to boycott the D&D movie mm-hmm. regarding this and there was even a call to boycott Legend of Vox Machina. Right. Um now based off of the ratings I don't think that that boycott really went through for obvious reasons. Um but it's still there's still a lot of discourse in the D&D community right now about Critical Role in particular because of this. Yeah, like I've been telling uh, you uh, right before we just started, uh, I've been seeing a few of the creators that I know of talk about this. Like, go not go back and forth against each other, but just going back and forth. They're just bringing the attention to their follow because a lot of them are known for uh, D&D-related content. And stuff yeah. Like that. So it's good to like bring it up to the eye and see, like, hey, this is happening right now uh, amongst us. So... I'm just sharing that out. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it, I don't want this to be an OGL podcast because that <laughs> can be its own podcast and we have a show to talk about, but it is really important for anyone that's unaware. This is something that is going to be affecting the actual sort of state of this show and conversation around it going forward. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a really important piece to go in on. And we definitely still up have lots to see what will happen with that yes so with that in mind now let's actually begin the rise of the chroma conclave um so that's a lot of dragons there are quite a few dragons i and like what was your so obviously this was the cliffhanger Mm -hmm. um how did how much how close was this to how you thought this was going to go down oh god so i don't i do not remember how i first like thought about it from the end of season one when, when I last saw that. But uh, this shit was terrifying. <laughs> Listen, because um, it goes up again further on in the next episode about the, the Sphinx. But um, for this part, one thing I really did like about this, and like it's, I feel like it's always hard to do like a good showcasing with tabletop and whatever, but like just showing the overall power of like essentially God-level things, just how it could happen. It's just insane. The level of... When this happened in the campaign, the level of fear that, like, I felt watching this was absurd. Because in D&D is mostly, like, you're beating... It's a power fantasy. You're mm-hmm. beating up the monsters. It's not Call of Cthulhu. You do you know are, I play D&D, right? You yeah. Don't it, no, no, I'm explaining it to the audience. <laughs> okay, but okay. You, and I, you and I are on the same page. Yeah, but, like, you're beating up the monster. You're in charge. And then to, like, essentially have a bunch of, like, you're level 12 and have a bunch of CR... 17s to 20s thrown at you in once it was literally just a run yeah and that's what happened pretty much yeah and i mean plot wise this episode i feel like we meet a lot of things there's a lot of world building that's established they thoroughly remind us that hey dragons are not supposed to be working together this is really really bad um and they thoroughly remind us of that throughout the rest of the episodes as well but as far as the dragons that we actually get to meet, um, it's very important to note that they are all voiced. And I'm going to start with one that is very particular. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Raishan. The green dragon, it, they are voiced by Cree Summer. Um, there's one thing that sets this dragon apart from the others. And it, that is, this is the only dragon that we see actively use magic. And it, the only, they don't show it as like a big show of magic. What they instead do is... It, 
Scanlan like has a foot yeah, I think, well, in her mouth. I'm gonna do, can we like not talk about the foot part, please? <laughs> you don't want to talk. I about don't want to talk about the foot part. Was uh was Game of Thrones too much for you on let's, that? Let's just let's just continue on. Scanlan has I, I, feet don't in about Rashaw's that either. Mouth. God, don't mind that. Game <laughs> but the R- R- dispels it, right? And it, there's an immediate moment of like this won't work. It's the first dragon that uh Grog actually tries to uh skewer and just completely shatters his uh axe com- yeah completely shatters his axe literally bounces off pretty much that was an actual moment in the campaign it was a um i swing was it a one no oh. it was a it was 22 22 does not hit oh it was that moment <laughs> which you gotta um, love boss monsters man. yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's it was that moment of like uh travis willingham was like oh we gotta clearly fight these things it's like no you're not fighting you're you're booking it out of there um yeah raishan fantastic uh and they will be probably the most interesting of all of these dragons and Kree did such a good job voicing oh, I, did, I didn't gosh. even recognize that was no. her until i rewatched the episode with the the, the imdb well, shit yeah I, every time i i will say uh for our purposes <laughs> amazon is great for like quickly <laughs> figuring out who's in what scene uh it's, it's a great tool and then one of the other things that was like less shocking but umbrasil uh which we see a little bit raining the acid down oh we didn't even talk uh yeah um so Rayshon Green Dragon, uh, like a poison breath. Yes, poison. You uh, you can clearly see what happens when the leader uh, sees yeah, his family uh, and his, uh, yeah, and then he just his face roughly bleeds out of his eyes and nose, and then yeah, that's the poison breath. And Green Dragons are our poison dragons. Umbrasil is our black dragon. That is voiced by Matthew Mercer. He does a very good job keeping them scary. And then what I was really surprised by was Vorigal, <laughs> which is our uh, frost dragon, the one that uh, tries to lone sack um, Grayskull. Dude, Keep. those, uh, seeing the, oh my god, I was just, holy crap. The, I, I never thought I'd be that terrified of Ice Breath before. I have. <laughs> uh, i never like the thing is like i never once thought of it being narrated as like the ice crushing someone instantly oh, yeah. okay fair enough. that like that's never what was going through my head so like seeing every time like i was like oh they will be frozen but it'll be kind of like oh they turn into that statue thing and there's nope, like a dusting like of it snow ripped through them horrible um and then of course Thordak, which is voiced by none Freaking other than Lance Reddick. I literally, I'm a Destiny player. I know. So I can only. Half I, the people I was with were Destiny players. I, they I lost can their lo- mind that, I can that Zavala was Only hear Zavala. <laughs> only hear Zavala. It's a, it is such a problem for me. Um, And every other Destiny player. But also, Lan- I mean, Lance Reddick is the goat Dude, of Lan- voice acting. And I, I just, feel bad because like. I didn't get like a good like you know know of Lance Reddick until unfortunately uh, Netflix is Resident Evil, no. but um, but then like hearing his voice and like like the other stuff like in in um Destiny and um and Horizon, yeah, like he does this, his voice is so good like he played Wesker as good as he can get you know yeah. for however it was written and and I and his voice is great though he he's so good at voice acting he's absolutely phenomenal I'm it all always a big fan of Lance Reddick I was when I found out that he was doing this part. I screamed because, uh, like, I was I was looking up uh, IMDb's like a couple weeks before the show because I was like, "Ooh, I wonder who I'm going to be talking about. I wonder who's <laughs> going to be voicing these parts." I, I'm so genuinely happy. Um, but all this is to say is that uh, the leaders of Taldori are dead. Um, we 
Sovereign Uriel obviously gets poisoned. His wife has to watch his family. We don't know what has actually happened to his family at this point. They are presumed dead. I don't. Was we, were they with? They were with um. I, I don't remember the person's name. But Alora, um, the, the uh, yeah, the I'm going to say wizard. Sorry. Yes, she's a wizard. <laughs> but yeah, wizard cast like a a good force field, but unfortunately, Sovereign did not uh make any time in that. Yeah, that was legit the last time we saw them. Yeah, I think. Well, no, because we you know what that actually puts them with her uh because we do see her like trying to cast and then a boulder falling on top of them. They're not confirmed dead. We didn't see like a splat. Oh right. The, she did the um wrapping thing. Yeah, she did the wrapping thing. I don't know what to call that. It's Listen, not an I was recently playing Yu-Gi-Oh, so I was going to call it spell I, I was playing uh I was playing Skyrim recently, so I was going to call it Dragon Rend. Um I Which, think that might be closer, it, to be honest. It, it felt like Dragon... All right, you know, so Dragon Rend. Yeah, Dragon Rend. She Dragon Rended that dragon to the ground. Um, And, yeah, the only character that we actually end up keeping is Gilmore. Yeah. Um, and Was. <laughs> we, we gotta love... We gotta love our... We gotta love our fancy gay men. He's absolute bonus, and I like how they swapped out uh, them buying things for nope just take everything in my shop let's go all right so that's actually real, something really quick i wanted to bring up so uh, um, for, uh i would probably guess that the broom plays a good part but when the again the movie theater friends yeah as soon as the broom showed up i just heard gas from them and i'm like oh this is something like actually like either super cool or like whatever oh i'm not gonna spoil it because the broom will become an <clears throat> important thing later obviously i I mean, like, basic storytelling, they're not going to put that much emphasis yeah. on the broom unless it's going to be important. Right. Um, but they did a good job treating it like it was just a basic visual I game. The best part is, though, I can't even imagine what it would be for. It's it's shockingly simple, but it's also amazing. Okay. So I, I have to give them credit. The, the broom is one of my favorite parts of Campaign 1. Uh, as far as just, like, pure magical items. Also, second favorite is the Belt of Dwarven Kind. Or in this case, just the beard belt. Yeah. Um, Rob becomes Kratos. Yeah, uh, he does become Kratos really <laughs> quickly. I, I will say, I think my favorite thing about the Belt of Dwarven Kind being adapted like this is it's actually the best magical item for a fighter or martial archetype. It gives you a bunch of extra constitution. You can read and write in Dwarvish. Um, so you have so much more HP. You can read and write in Dwarvish. You have dark vision if you didn't already have it. Oh, shit. And... Um, and you get a beard, but what the show just simplified it to is beard belt, and that's great. We don't need to know that it gave him a buff. Mm -hmm. We just need to know that Grog wants a beard, and it is his beard belt. That's all. That was his character goal, actually. He's good. Yeah, he's he's done. <laughs> character arc is done. Uh, Grog has no further development. The spooky sword is just going to be a spooky sword. Nothing bad is ever going to happen because of the spooky sword. <laughs> <laughs> Grog's done. All right. Cool. Yeah, you heard it Next here episode. first. Box mocking the spoilers. Grog has no more character development. Um, yeah, and I, I will say there is one thing that I want to talk about real quick here. Um, a detail that I'd imagine you probably caught since you watched it twice. Mm -hmm. There was a strange shadowy figure that appeared alongside Vax in that first episode. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on this? This was the thing that I did mention that uh <clears throat> that I was unfortunately somewhat slightly spoiled about. So, uh, Bridget, if you're watching this, you're awesome, you're cool, but also damn you for screw for spoiling it for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, let's just say uh, eventually a deal will be made. There we go. <laughs>
Okay, so there a deal may or may not be made. That is that is a figure that's going to be popping up, um, and we'll avoid addressing it directly, but if you're keen of eye, you definitely already know. We'll talk about it in depth on the next episode, the next section of episodes that we cover. Um, Just next week. (laughs) Yeah, just next week. It's, yeah, you're right. It's next week. Um, okay. And then, of course, we hit the trials of Vasselheim. Um, and all this is to say is that they teleport to Vasselheim, nearly die because of an emplaced tree, which honestly is a hysterical thing that they did. Because um, that is not how that went down. Originally. Oh, did it not? Well, no, because originally Matt Mercer made a mistake. Uh-huh. Uh, because as much credit as Matt Mercer gets as being a storyteller, as a rules knowledge DM, he has flaws. Because this was a system that he was learning at the time. They originally were Pathfinder players. Yeah. In Pathfinder, you can play much more loose and casual with the spells okay but D has a lot more hard rules and he tried really hard to make sure that he was sticking true to them in order to um essentially not have people yell at them on the internet uh that's like literally the only reason because otherwise he's a rule of cool dm first yeah. and foremost um don't worry it, everybody yells at the internet now so yeah fine. everyone will yell at you if you have something on the internet but um, now they just do it in general yes the the mistake that he originally made was that he essentially allowed them to scry on Vasselheim, even though they hadn't been there, look at a tree through the scry, and then walk through the tree. Wow. <laughs> so, it was, like, they broke the spell really, really quickly, and instead they were like, well, they still need to get there. They get there through the tree, and it, to let's just have it not work in their favor. Not be the tree. The, the, yeah, it just, they, they, need to be they didn't nail the tree. She didn't do a good job describing it, and Kayla is just like, that's not how the spell works. Which is hysterical, because also Marisha Ray had the hardest time learning her spells because she went from Pathfinder to being a druid in Dungeons and Dragons Ooh. 5B. Which means that she had to know all of the druid spells, not just whatever spells that she could prepare. Um, poor Marisha Ray, the internet completely roasted her alive for too much of that. Um, regardless, they get to Vasselheim and go through all that. Just for world leaders to be, in general, as we all know, pretty awful at their jobs. I'm... Yep, I, I'm there with them. I, I can't get over how non-ceremonious this was. I don't think I was prepared for them to just walk in and them to be like, yeah, no, we're just not. I was. I was totally expecting that. <laughs> I, were, were you just that jaded already? No, nah, I mean, like... <laughs> It was an obvious thing that was going to happen because, like, I've I've seen this this trope before. It's just <laughs> what you mean the news. We need your help, <laughs> giant city that's been by itself forever. Nah, nah, not fam. Fine, and it's it, that is fair. It, it does fall into that trope land. I will say, as far as greater lore, there's a lot more to talk about with Vasselheim, but I think we can save that for later. Okay. Uh, just because if they get to there in the story. Vasselheim will be a big part of what's going on. So I don't think we need to talk about Vasselheim too much, but if you know, you know. Um, That being said, we also, uh, we get introduced to a couple things. Um, Grog goes on his own mini adventure to uh, visit the Stormlord's place and gets his ass kicked. Um, I will say I did like that. Actually, there was a lot of spark between um, the Grog and the Stormlord's part and then um, the rest of Vox Machina and the Slayer's take. And a lot of times it was the good cutting between them both oh I my really god the way that they intercut those scenes was act i i will say the amount of story that it actually gets done throughout this 
is astounding especially just this one episode does so much lifting as far as both character development and i uh, they kind of do it in a cheap way for character development of just like here's your flaws i'm gonna spit on you i why did i say spit um well no spit it's, all right it's in the podcast now uh but yeah he's he's not sparring with the storm lord he's sparring with a uh he's sparring with a monk of the storm lord right yeah but yeah, he's brutally getting his ass kicked, and also we start getting more development in that sword that he took off of uh, off of Silas Briarwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time we see it, like working, working under him. Yeah, yeah. The um, it drawing blood. I don't think. Not to I, mention, uh, it's the reason that Grog got separated. <laughs> yeah, which in a very oh God, I hope they don't adapt to that. Um. There is a there's a scene that I want to hang on to, but oh god, I I'm like I'm not sure if I should say this one out loud because I don't uh, know if it's a spoiler uh, or not. If it if it does happen, if it happens, if it hap- I will talk about it. If we get through the season without it happening, I will talk. Right. I'll leave it alone. Remind uh, us in <laughs> remind us if it? um oh. something with an outhouse happens. Um, that's the okay. only hint that I'm gonna <laughs> give. Um, the yeah, Grog Grog does get split up on that. Um. I feel like we don't really need to dive too much into that sword, but what are your sort of opinions and thoughts of this? Mm-hmm. Where do you think it's actually going to go? Uh, ignoring the fact that Grog, if Grog had more character development, mm-hmm. which we have already said that he's not going to, <laughs> but if he did, what do you think might happen with the sword? Corruption, possession, um, something along those lines. I think I feel like those are kind of the obvious ones but i feel like it would all also, it would also be somewhat um let's say vox machina has to fight grog or fight get grog to like like build a sword something like that something like that I would okay say. Mm-hmm. so similar into sort of the percy sort of realm oh, of a corrupting yeah. weapon yeah okay we'll leave it there um i'm not have they they haven't said the name of the sword yet so yeah. we're just gonna say we spooky sword weapon that uh the vampires had yeah, it's spooky and vampires. And dragons. <laughs> yeah, it was, he's going to feed it some dragon blood. Um, but also, we get introduced to the Slayer's Take, um, and we meet uh, two of my favorite characters, <laughs> Kasha and Zara. Um, I just want to say, animating Zara, like, they made Kasha hot. They made Zara hot. They made both of them just astounding. Dude, we we love our uh, vi- love vigilante hot... <laughs> anti-hero type characters. Yeah, say. we apparently we just ended up with hot human and hot tiefling, and mm. I I'm just like good good on you guys. Hey, tieflings are always hot. Just saying, T- tieflings are uh, tieflings are the basic bitch of D and D. Okay, that is that is, yeah. that is yeah. <laughs> all right. Continue. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, that that is my hot take for the day. But the, um, wow, okay, I'm distracting myself thinking about tieflings. Man. Um, I want to address a, um, I want to address a sort of difference between the campaign and here, as far as Kasha is concerned and his relationship with Keyleth. So the entire time he's kind of flirting with Keyleth. Yeah. That much is very obvious. Uh, obviously Vex is not too happy about that, but he's, he's getting in on that. Um, originally the backstory to why these two are here is their player they were player characters and they had been in previous one shots gotcha that's um, probably why i saw earlier that part in the campaign i for um the bizarre's voice actor yes so uh they were in previous sections of the earlier campaign 
and um, it was established that uh, Keyleth and Kashaw had a thing, and then eventually broke that thing off at an earlier point. So in the game, it's actually more of an awkward X dynamic. So Kashaw's a fuckboy! Kashaw, yeah, no, well, okay, I don't think that that is a new find. I feel like Kashaw is a very established (laughs) fuckboy, even in this. Um, And it is is kind of funny because he does, like, even in the campaign, kind of radiate deadbeat X, um, which I'm like, he just does such a good job with the character, and I, they may be expanding upon his character more later on, so I'm going to leave some of that alone. Um, but they're just really fascinating elements that have been added to this. And then, of course, uh, we get introduced to the Sphinx that is in charge Dude, of I the Slayer's take. the whole scene with the Sphinx. Like, back again to the dragon thing, but, like, how, like, power and stuff like that. The Sphinx one blew my mind with how amazing that looked. It was... Like, the whole thing is just like, she's older than time. And I'm like, yes, I, I can believe that. There's... That is not something that they can fight. I think um, that honestly might be my favorite moment throughout this entire series so far. I, it was really well done. And an un, so like season one had problems of being like really on the nose with its writing a lot of the time. And like, I went back and I rewatched season one before this. And like, there were moments, especially early on where I was like, uh, this isn't honestly that great. There's like things mm-hmm. that really leave itself to be desired. The Sphinx scene was incredible. There was nothing about it that felt like on the nose. It felt like these characters were actually in a dire situation. And she she was just going, yeah, you're just not good enough for this job. Like, the, we, oh, I wish I, f- I should have looked at the Sphinx voice. I, 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 I was good. Oh, God, we, oh, just, we should we should have done that. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll adjust like, it in the next. Basically peering into their whole soul, separating them either like mentally or even physically. physically. And then and the best part, of course, uh, Scanlan, we don't care about you. <laughs> But like still, it was just it was insane that whole thing, and I loved it a lot. The I I can't get over like how well they have actually adapted, ju- because this was like three sessions that they did. Oh geez. Yeah, this was not a lot. They, uh, yeah, I think them getting around. I think Vasselheim actually may have been two set, two two and a half sessions, and then the sunken tomb was definitely two. Um, and then, of course, uh, one of the things that we learn about this is the, the Sphinx is setting them up to learn about the vestiges of divergence, right. um, which are shocker of the big plot device. And uh, this is essentially when the game turns into the Legend of Zelda, find mm-hmm. all the MacGuffins and collect them yeah. in order to beat the big bad. Legend of Zelda, that one part in uh, WoW Legion and uh, a lot of other ones. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I think how... The, the best way that I could say this is that um, these are very powerful magical items. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as in-game is concerned, um, these are attunement items. However, they are supposed to get better with your character. So either in moments of roleplay or in moments of like a level up or uh, distress, the vestige will simply just unlock new abilities at the dm's discretion like the level up with the character and stuff like yes that. Okay. so it's the idea is that it's a magical item that in theory you could take with you from level one and keep making better and better and better Damn. um which i think is honestly for a role play standpoint in a role-playing game a really good idea because it allows a character to sort of build into 
an item. It allows them to have an emotional attachment to an item if they so choose to do so. Um, and not have it become like a, oh man, you gotta get rid of your dad's sword for this plus two great sword. This is stupid. Like, which is inevitably what happens in D&D if someone wants to be like, I'm level one, but I have a sword that's really important to me. Right. Because you gotta just let the characters be the characters and what's best for the story. It's not about power gaming. Or at least in most cases, <laughs> it shouldn't be about power gaming. Okay. And then this vestige um it then takes them to a location that we now know as the sunken tomb based off the episode title uh so really important they are in this episode they are going after a vestige that was created by the raven queen and given to her champion right per von soul which um they very aptly uh recreated what was not great what was not great about matthew mercer's naming habits in that moment um the pedo bear line and everything else is legitimate reactions that happened at the table i gotta be honest i kind of felt like it was but because a lot of times when i when i watch a show i think about i wonder what lines are like were actually said and like what times what times are just like you know proper writing but like the pedo bear line felt so out of place and i was like why is that there oh no that's actually a line that fucking sam regal just shot out in that moment i will say per von it for those that um for those that have seen other things especially exu calamity is a very interesting character but we're not really going to expand too much upon him here other than his magical item and all those things at the end of the episode uh and of course, uh, Zara and Kishaw tailed them um, in order to get this. And originally, um, Zara and Kishaw were just player characters that were like along for the ride and were going to help him out. That's it. And the other thing that I'm really happy that they didn't do. Um, so we agree this episode's pretty well paced. I think that this was actually probably one of my favorite, like just pure adventuring episodes. It felt like a full dungeon crawl without everything being too forced it didn't feel too much like gameplay um the original boss at the end of this was a beholder i cannot think of a single monster that would take me more out of uh, the uh, moment so for those who don't know beholder is pretty much the mascot you literally see it on the which book is it the dm uh, xanathar's Zan guide to everything xanathar's guide it's it's... Floating head, a bunch of eyes. Looks like the Cacodemon from D from Doom. <laughs> it does, actually. Um, one single eye with a bunch of little beanstalks, a bunch of little eyes. They have really weird little personalities. I don't know why I said little. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't... Uh, anytime someone plays a Beholder, I can't th help but think of them as just like some little guy um, that is like in a big guy suit. So they're just weird for the story. I think they did a good job by cutting this out. I know that some people might be upset by that opinion, but honestly, it would have hampered everything down because what we actually got out of this episode cohesively uh, was Vax dies. Yeah. Excuse me, Vax dies. I got the twins confused. That's my it. mistake. Sue me. Terrible. I'm a fake I, fan. Fake fan. He got Vax and Vex confused in a throwaway okay. line on a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a question for you. Uh, I know that you said that in hindsight it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But... Was I expecting it? Yeah. No. Not at all, actually. I was not expecting it at all. So, like, even with all the flashbacks leading up, yeah. 
Like, it was fully just like, oh, wow, they're really giving us a lot of X backstory. And right I was now. like, wow, we're finally knowing what's happening. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh wow this is dude i was into it what can i say i was i was into... you were like i was oh, I'm learning the story um so the the nice thing about this is like i feel like this was the best opportunity for them to actually tell us these things because normally of course players will kind of tell other players the backstory at like pertinent times or when people are pressing them for it so like um, we would have known much earlier in the campaign, at least being on the stream, that Vax and Vex were, uh, were orphans that then had to go live under their dad. Um, and now we know that their dad's rich, yeah. which suddenly recontextualizes everything that we would have previously <laughs> thought about them. The, uh, the element here, I will be able to give him this. Um, he isn't just rich. He is a political ambassador, and in particular, he is an ambassador to uh, something that I will at least be able to do a little bit of pre-world building for everyone. Okay. A place called Syngorn, which, as the narrative stands, I'm not sure if we have reason to go there, so I am going to say it is a city of elves. It is a full-blown, and like in other D&D and actually very Tolkien settings, you have a system where... Um, a, you have a system where er, where the elves believe that they are the higher beings mm. and kind of look down on other people. And it, this kind of bleeds into the relationship with his with essentially the half-elven twins and also leads into other questions of the status of their mother. Which, honestly, I don't think we got a lot of in campaign one. Well, I want to know. <laughs> uh, no, I'm being genuine. Okay. I don't think we actually got a lot of information on it. The only information that we know is that she was killed by a dragon. Mm. Right. Okay. And I'll, there is a little bit more around that, but we don't know a lot about her as a person or the relationship that she had to their father. So that's something that, like, if we ever get to explore that, that's going to be very new information for everyone. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I, that would be great, pretty much, honestly. So that way it's not, you know, carbon copy-paste from yeah, the campaign. Yeah, it would be, like, I think that this is, like, actually one of the first instances of, like, oh, there could be a full expansion upon this without it being a problem. And that would be super great. Um, so, of course, uh, the other element here is um, that shadowy figure. That Vex saw in a... What was it called? The first city? The uh, capital Talor. I'm just capital, calling it the capital. Yeah, sure. Okay. We'll go with that. Yeah. You made me for. Uh, you can rest me in the you comments. You made me forget it. Um, and I have been watching this show for a very long time. Um, is it like a mon or something? I'm not. Familiar. It is a mon. Okay. Thank you. You you're the one who brought it back. You forgot okay, it. You can't rest me anymore. You forgot it for me, and then you brought it back. You saved us. Uh, right. that shadowy figure in a mon pops up and keeps popping up specifically in the scene in which Vex dies. Yes. Um. Also, as far as we know, uh, Vax is the only one seeing it. Vax is the only Vax is the only one who's seen it so far. However, I would like to point out an interesting direction choice. He is not actively perceiving it in those moments. Only the audience is. Oh, okay. So in all the previous shots that we see the shadowy figure, it is POV. Vax looks somewhere. We see the thing. It cuts back to him and his and other people having not seen it. Right. And this moment, he's purely focused on Vex, who has just died. We've seen the light fade from her eyes. I mean, this fucked his sister. Yeah, yeah, I would too. <laughs> he's purely focused on that, but we keep seeing it in the background. And 
also, I believe in some shots before then, we also continue to see it in those in shots leading up. Okay, so, I remember. Yeah, I, 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 if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You can come at me in the comments. But we keep seeing them in those background shots. And what's essentially being established here is that they are an active role within the death of, a, of Vex. So cinematically, that's the language that we are establishing. Um, so to end off with, without giving away if you have had any spoilers regarding certain things... Where do you think we are going to take off, and what story beats are we going to hit? Be hitting from here. God, I I, I don't freaking know. <laughs> um, I know I'm I'm hitting you with the. We lot. still have um Kashal and, Z- and Zara who we went ahead. I think they went ahead. Yes, I remember the whole thing because like I know the tomb thing popped up, but like that could be another thing or whatever. So like we still have them to deal with, possibly the reanimation or whatever of the the champion Pervon. Yeah, and um that, that's really the best I can think of. Okay. So without without saying anything about what I know, there we're going to get into um, next episode. A major question that I'm going to have is going to be answered finally. And that is going to be the status of the magic system here, because suddenly magic is going to be really important. Yeah, that was the whole thing we we brought up last season. Last season is um, the way that they were treating magic and because it's Dungeons and Dragons magic is we're going to have to figure out what the hell is happening with how they start treating certain spells and those certain spells we're going to be able to talk about it next week because i don't want to spoil anything because if i even say the name of a spell it will come up okay and people will be able to fill in the blanks so i'm not going to say anything um but we're gonna vox machina is going to have to start having some hard fast rules because suddenly magic is going to be really important to how problems are being solved in in universe and how conflict is being created. And that's just what we're going to have to wait and see for next week. Right. So if you want to see an analysis of that, come <laughs> by in the next bit. And after those episodes come out, we're going to be discussing that on the return of the show. And of course, if you watch our content and are not subscribed for any reason, what, the, what are you doing? What are you doing? Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast feed. What's, what's your problem? Anyway, this has been the return of the show. Ooh. I'm Ben. That's Jose. We're back. We are back. Hey, and it's a video episode. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Bye-bye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.